Welcome to this 16th edition of the Privacy Laws of Business Privacy Paths Podcasts. I'm Stuart Dresner, founder and chief executive of Privacy Laws and Business. You can find all our previous podcasts at www.privacylaws.com forward slash podcasts. Today, I'm delighted that we're meeting Michael McAvoy, Information and Privacy Commissioner for British Columbia, Canada. Do you want to say hello, Michael? Well, hello, and uh, it's just uh, a great pleasure to be invited on to your podcast, uh, Stuart, which has uh, broad reach uh, across the globe. So uh, I appreciate this and look forward to our conversation. Great. So, Michael, after joining the Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner in 2007, you're currently about halfway through your six-year term as Commissioner. And uh, to give a bit of context, you're one of 13 information and privacy commissioners for the 10 Canadian provinces and three territories. The Privacy Commissioner of Canada, with federal responsibilities, is based in Ottawa. Today, our focus is on your role in applying the, the BC privacy law to the legal sale of recreational cannabis. You took the initiative with your staff to research and publish in October 2018, Protecting Personal Information, Cannabis Transactions, which was the world's first guidance on this subject. In the August 2021 edition of Privacy Laws and Business International Report, we covered your work in this field, bringing this story up to date. Now, Commissioner McAvoy, please explain the background to taking this initiative three years ago. Well, thanks. Thanks again, uh, Stuart, for that uh, for that introduction. So what gave rise to the guidance that we've issued and its timing uh, three years ago was that in October 2018, the sale and the use of recreational cannabis became legal in Canada. Uh, what that did is it really set in place a whole chain of regulatory events, uh, including those relating to the privacy of our citizens here in British Columbia. We didn't know there were going to be a lot of questions and concerns from the retailers and from customers leading up to legalization about the rules of the road when it came to protecting people's information. Uh, and frankly, we also knew there's going to be a cultural shift with a sudden change from uh, the sale of cannabis from illegal venues, which had gone on in the so-called gray market prior to legalization, uh, and then the move to licensed shops, uh, which you know takes it from the stigmatized status that had previously existed uh, to now a product fulfilling really a mainstream uh, retail uh, product for people to, uh, to consume. So with all of that, we knew and had received a lot of inquiries. Uh, we knew that there was a need to give guidance to both retailers and customers about the rules of the road when it came to protecting and securing people's information and what could and couldn't be done. And that's exactly what we did in advance of the 2018 legalization date. We, as you noted, took the lead in creating guidance that addresses privacy-related issues arising from the sale of, of cannabis um, using what the laws that are in place in British Columbia that, that, uh, that apply to uh, uh, a range of retailers and now cannabis retailers. Sure. So, um, so you you were receiving inquiries leading up to the legalisation date, and um, presumably you you thought therefore that it was you know it was a good idea to release the guidance at the same time or the day before. Um, 
did you after you published the guidance did then did that stimulate more demand from questions from the media and indeed uh, the provincial government in bc or indeed other uh, other governments or other commissioners across canada or, or did you just regard it as the right thing to do so is it a mix of factors which led to you publishing the guidance well, it certainly was the right thing to do. Um, one of the things, uh, and it's a number that still astonishes me, I guess I shouldn't be, but uh, there are an estimated uh, 1 million, over 1 million users of cannabis in British Columbia. So obviously knowing that the implications are large because you've got a, a large audience there that's very uh, both concerned, wanting to understand and know uh, their rights as well as the retailers uh, who, many of whom, not unlike, I suppose, a lot of uh, businesses, uh, some of whom aren't even aware that there are rules about how you collect and what you can and can't do in the world of collection, use, and disclosure of people's personal information. So there was um, a considerable interest, and when we issued the guidance, uh, it stimulated a lot of conversation uh, in the province, uh, both amongst consumers, amongst uh, retailers, and uh, that's something that... Um, uh, our office uh, was well employed and deployed to use um, excellent policy analysts and investigators who could assist the public in uh, understanding what the rules are when it comes to collecting, using and disclosing people's information in this retail space. So you were at the very centre of a, a cultural shift from years of grey sales, as you were saying, under the counter. Yeah. Um, suddenly it was becoming legal, which obviously led to m many questions. Now, let's dig into the privacy issues. What were the main privacy issues related to the sale of recreational cannabis? And what, to what extent do the privacy issues such as payment card data and video surveillance also relate to other sectors? Well, the rules that apply to um, cannabis retailers are not unlike the rules that apply to uh, to most retailers. So uh, the, the basic idea, and again, this sometimes comes as a surprise to small and medium enterprises, are you can't just collect and use and disclose whatever you want about people. There are, um, there are guardrails around that. And so those retailers uh, had to be informed and, and know what those were. So as you indicated, the point of sales, uh, there's credit card data that's collected. There's identification data that's collected about people to make sure they're of legal age when they enter uh, a store, for example. Um, what can uh, the privacy issues, the challenges that can arise from that, the challenge, the issues that can arise from that, again, not unlike other retailers. So for example, there could be a breach of that information. Now, in the, in the world of cannabis, uh, that might actually have more implications than uh, perhaps in other retail spaces and not to diminish those other things because uh, whenever you have people's ID and credit card information, disclosure of that, of course, can lead to identity theft and other things. But there's yet another element that uh, is added on top of that when it comes to cannabis uh, sales because it's not legal everywhere. And just south of us in Canada, there are states in the United States where possession and use of cannabis is illegal. So knowledge of that, if that were breached, if that were leaked out uh, to others, could result in people, for example, not being able to cross the border into the United States uh, uh, of America. So the stakes kind of are, are uh, they're high for normal retailers having people's personal information. Uh, they're even elevated to a greater extent when it comes to uh, cannabis because of the fact that 
uh, as I say, in other places, uh, its use is not it's not legal. So um, that's uh, that's one of the reasons I think we put a put a uh, bright light on on the topic for consumers and for retailers. Yes, and quite rightly. That point was made very strongly in the podcast uh, which your office published through the Hayes. Uh, and I would imagine that uh, that point was um, was re- was uh, received quite clearly by um, consumers of cannabis, um, sort of before, perhaps with one one half celebrating that they could now buy the stuff, and on the other hand, be, being careful about travel as a result of how they buy buy the uh, product. Yes, and uh, certainly I know a lot of consumers, uh, for example, choose when they go into a store to purchase uh, with cash uh, because they don't wish to leave that uh, paper trail. But uh, a little bit of that has changed, of course, in recent times where, uh, you know, stores and so on have been closed. And so you've got uh, you've got the prospect of online um, and and delivery to people's homes um, and, and those kinds of things. So that that kind of just changed the equation a little bit as well. Yes, and so when you published the um, original guidance, that was well before the pandemic, when online was just one mm-hmm. channel. But I, I can see how it would have uh, the whole market would have uh, shifted towards uh, online as a result of the pandemic. And but online means mm-hmm. card payment, so uh, there's a bit of a conundrum there. Um, yes. Now, what about um, other privacy commissions, other provincial? Commissioners, have they? I mean, you've done all the work. I, I would have thought it'd been easy for them to sort of borrow your work or lean on it or just say refer their people to, to your guidance. So, how's what's happened there? Well, one of the great things in Canada is we have uh, a very close relationship, spe- relationship between all of the regulators uh, in the privacy space in Canada. So, in this case, um, uh, we're talking about private sector retailers. Uh, there are four jurisdictions in Canada that have um, uh, regulatory authority in the private sector. That's us in British Columbia, our colleagues in Alberta and Quebec, and the federal office that you mentioned earlier, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada. Um, so absolutely, we uh, we borrow from one another liberally in these uh, things to share our resources and knowledge. And uh, certainly that actually happened with the Office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada, who uh, who uh, directly asked for our permission to, uh, I was going to say steal, but that's not quite the right term. It's borrow. borrow <laughs> and, with, uh, and it's borrowing when you do it with permission and consent. And so that's what uh, transpired. They, of course, gave due credit. and uh, But we frequently borrow from them as well. And so uh, working together, uh, it just helps us to, to get the word out and, and so that uh, those in these fields, like cannabis in this case, can, uh, can learn by uh, the guidance that we've provided. Sure. Um, well, I know they published your, your original guidance on their website. Have they now um, published your, your revised guidance on their website? I'm not actually sure if they've published the revised guidance at this point, but um, we are in constant contact with our colleagues across the country uh, talking about these very issues. So uh, I'm sure that's on our, on our agenda. Sure. Okay. Um, what contacts have you had with your provincial governments, your British Columbia provincial government in planning and publishing the guidance? Did you do it um, in discussion with them or did you just go ahead because you, you act independently? So but did you consult them as a courtesy or you just, just went ahead and did it? Well, uh, governments, uh, and we have a very good relationship with our provincial government here, uh, when they are going to undertake a significant initiative that would have privacy implications, uh, 
in most cases, uh, they will uh, discuss that with us. And uh, it's an opportunity for, for the uh, both of us to have a conversation about what's going forward. Uh, we're able to provide, uh, usually in confidence, uh, some advice and commentary, uh, which can help uh, steer the government in a way which is going to ensure that whatever rolls out is done so in a privacy protective way. Uh, initially, initially, when government was rolling out its plans about uh, in the cannabis sector, uh, this was no different. So we had uh, really good conversations with government about that. Uh, we certainly indicated to them that uh, we intended to assist in that process by issuing uh, by issuing guidance of our own, which could be uh, relied on by by uh, cannabis retailers and consumers. Right. So you were issuing the privacy guidance and they issued a document on video uh, brought into their guidance, the video aspects. So it sounds like a very satisfying mutual exchange of uh, exp experience and information. Uh, yes, uh, uh, that is, uh, it is important, I think. Uh, and government, uh, we're an independent office, as you said, and we have a role of oversight. Uh, so it's important that those lines of communication between government and our office are open uh, at, at all times. Uh, not on not on every occasion do they uh, consult us, but most in most cases uh, that they do, and uh, that's to mutual. It's to the benefit of the public. Of course, it is. And uh, physically speaking, you're just a couple of kilometres from the, the, the parliament, the legislative building. So it's already, it's really quite convenient for you to liaise together. It is, and I, I know, Stuart, you've been here and visited sure. us in the beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, and get a sense of uh, it literally is probably a 10-minute walk uh, from uh, our offices to uh, to uh, visit with government uh, people, and that helps to uh, maintain that good relationship. That's right. Uh, in fact, I've been on the, a tour of the, of the legislature, and a very impressive building it is, too. Okay, so uh, moving on to uh, the next point, really, which is that I know that each year the uh, British Columbia Legislature holds a hearing in which the relevant committee asks you questions on the work of your office you know, across across the board. Um, so I'm, I, I wonder whether this committee has asked you about this particular guidance, and if so, what was their line of questioning? And were they, importantly, were they supportive of your initiative on recreational cannabis? So you're right. Um, I do actually twice a year. I oh, uh, answer to a, uh, an all all party legislative committee. Uh, so I'm accountable to the public. Formally, I'm accountable to the public through the legislature, not the government per se, but the legislature. And um, I conveyed to them uh, a series of uh, matters that I undertook during the year, which included guidance. Guidance. Uh, with respect to cannabis, for example. Um, we didn't have a specific conversation about the cannabis guidance, but we talk about those issues in general terms. The committee is very, uh, very attuned to that. Uh, they're very supportive of the work that we do to educate the public about what their rights and responsibilities are. And uh, that's what we attempt to do in a, in a number of different ways, through a number of different venues. There's all kinds of modern ways to do that through podcasts, through uh, video. Uh, through uh, written uh, documents that we provide online. And uh, the committee has been very supportive in the past, and I expect will continue to be as we move uh, forward, because part of my mandate is to educate the public about what the rules of the road are when it comes to privacy. 
Sure. And um, I recall that uh, those sessions are recorded and one can uh, sort of listen to them later on, uh, you know, whenever, whenever you want. So it's really open access uh, in the sense that people can really follow what you're saying and what the questions are. And I think it's a very, it's a wonderful uh, example of sort of open government. Yeah, it's very much so. It's, uh, you know, it's a, we have a Westminster style uh, parliament here in uh, Canada and with a Hansard a system that uh, records all of the proceedings. So as you say, it's very transparent, very open, and um, it's uh, it's something that gives the public the availability to access uh, should they so choose. Okay, well, um, moving on to the, the revision, how did your team tackle the task of revising the guidelines? How did you decide which questions to ask and, and who to visit or, or interview? So we, knew early on that once things kind of settled, the, the dust settled, so to speak, uh, retailers had a chance to get their feet on the ground, customers had a chance to get on their, uh, you know, to get a sense of how this whole system was going to work now that it was legal. Um, we thought it appropriate uh, following that to uh, review and look at the overall privacy management programs uh, of, of both actually cannabis and liquor uh, retailers. And so uh, we did an audit uh, led by Tanya Allen in our office, uh, where uh, we looked at, I think it was uh, in total, I think 30, 30 uh, retails, 15 of each, 15 cannabis, 15 liquor, to get a sense of um, where they were with privacy. So that meant looking at uh, whether they had written policies, whether they were doing proper inventory of the personal information that they collected. And if so, you know, where it was stored, how they were protecting that information. So we wanted to really look at uh, their systems and processes to ensure that there were safeguards in place to, uh, uh, to make sure that people's information was properly protected, as well looking at things, uh, the way they were collecting information, whether that was say, with biometric information or facial recognition scans, those kinds of things. So what did we do? Uh, we did inter informational interviews with uh, government and the two lobbying organizations. Uh, we reviewed the uh, retailers' websites. Uh, we interviewed the key uh, people within each of the selected retailers. And then we reviewed their policies uh, and whatever other written materials they provided uh, relating to the collection and protection of that personal information. Right, so it was a pretty thorough, thorough job, and I, and I noticed having read the uh, report that you very reasonably went on visited these sort of larger companies. You didn't pick on some one one man band in a, some obscure small town. You you went for the larger retailers, which I think and, and online. So I think that was a very fair way of doing it. And any lessons learned, of course, would would apply to all all parts of the uh, retail sector, large and small. So I think that was a very reasonable way of doing it. Yeah, you know, because uh, obviously the foot traffic or the traffic that these stores would see are pretty substantial. So their footprint in the province and their impact is quite large. And so uh, through this process of reviewing what they were doing, uh, its its impact was for them to give us information. But at the same time, we're educating them um, about what their responsibilities are, were and are in the event that they weren't uh, doing the things that they needed to do within the law. So we thought in terms of getting the largest um, hit, as I would describe it, for uh, for the resources that we were going to put into it, that was the way to that was the way to do it. Sure. Um, 
the obviously you're giving guidance um, so if you find something going wrong it's not a law but to, do you have powers to take action if you wish to do so yeah absolutely um, I have in British Columbia order making authority to uh, to to order uh, organizations uh, to take steps to comply with the law uh, it's it's a, an authority which I've exercised in the past and will continue to do uh, I like a lot of regulators would prefer to educate people because my in my experience uh, organizations want to do the right thing sometimes they're not sure what the right thing is hence the need for guidance to explain the rules in a way which hopefully is is understandable and uh clear uh, to those retailers so uh, as i say wanting to do the right thing sometimes requires uh some explanation and uh, that's part of the role that we do and and Frankly, when that information is conveyed, again, uh, most organizations uh, get it and uh, move to take the steps that are necessary um, to, to do. And I have to say, uh, when we did the review, we did find, uh, in many respects, some of these um, retailers were wanting in terms of uh, the legislation and their obligations, including, for example, a legal requirement that they have a uh, a, a privacy policies in place that guide what they do. Um, and so uh, that is uh, a matter which obviously has those that don't have, didn't have those in place was uh, the need to do so was brought to their attention. And uh, along with some other matters as well, including I, I mentioned privacy uh, or uh, personal information inventories. Uh, if there's a breach, how do you know what's been breached if you don't know precisely what you've been collecting? And in some cases, uh, organizations weren't doing a good enough job of that. And so, uh, you know, we recommended that they, they, they get their house in order, essentially, when it, uh, when it comes to uh, issues um, like this. Yes, and I think your recommendations have extra power if they know you have got order-making uh, possibilities. Um, so step one, you encourage them to do the right thing, and only if they're really sort of refuse you can then bring in the, the big stick later if necessary on a, a different sorry I, I was going to say absolutely uh, the, the stick is not something that we normally have to uh, do we've had occasions where we've had recalcitrant uh, organizations uh, that you know refuse to do something but again the order making authority uh, in those cases uh, we've had to deploy, but that's a very unusual circumstance. Sure. I think it's um, very um, wise that you went about the work um, with both with liquor stores and cannabis in parallel because the sale of liquor is a very well understood cultural phenomenon and where it has you know, been legal for forever, presumably, and, um, mm -hmm. and cannabis is new. So I think it's good that for all of society and the media to realize that the similar principles apply but just there's some additional points for for cannabis um, yeah okay. i think that's i think that's right i'm not sure if the uk had experience with prohibition <laughs> back in the 30s <laughs> no. but there was a point there was a point in canada's history where in fact it was not possible to legally obtain liquor no, we, we've never had that but uh, there are rules about the age of uh, that people can buy liquor and uh, so have you had um, some formal feedback from cannabis retailers? Do they uh, appreciate your guidance? You're trying to guide them in the, uh, the right path. Yeah, the feedback has been uniformly positive. And uh, because, uh, again, we're, our attempt here is to be remedial. 
uh, to draw to people's attention where they're wanting. It's not a gotcha exercise. Um, as a regulator, uh, you know, I'm not here to fool people into stuff or trap them uh, in some way that, you know, they've been caught. The whole purpose of this was to have candid conversations with people and uh, to have some dialogue and uh, where people are complying with the law and have processes in place. For example, most of the uh, most of the retailers had uh, a chains of command in place where if there was a breach, those could be rectified. So that was that was positive. But where things were lacking, um, very these organizations were very open to uh, and understanding of their responsibilities and uh, indicated they were going to take measures to ensure that they were in compliance. So uh, th that's how I think they viewed it in the same way we did, which was just to make sure that in all of this, the public uh, and consumers were gonna have trust and confidence in the kind of interactions they were having with cannabis and liquor retailers, and they could do so in a way which ensured that their information was going to be properly uh, collected and used. And uh, when you think about it uh, uh, as being sort of a, uh, it's a trust relationship which builds confidence in business, um, you know, retailers, uh, I think they really get it and understand its importance and how that actually helps them sure. in uh, uh, building uh, building their relationships with their clients and customers. Sure. Um, and has the revised guidance stimulated any new issues? Uh, which you need to respond to. Are there sort of points coming out now which you hadn't thought of before? Um, a, a little bit. I, me I mentioned the fact that, and you you noted that with COVID, uh, there has been uh, some change in the way that services are delivered. So, uh, you know, delivery to doorsteps has changed things a bit, but still there's, you know, the collection of, um, for example, ensuring people have are of the age of majority and that information is collected. So some of the same information is being collected, but it's just happening in a different way. Online transactions have obviously in, increased. Uh, and with that, you know, comes some additional risks that retailers need to be aware of. Uh, I think in the sphere of um, uh, collection of information and surveillance, we did find uh, at least in one instance, the use of facial recognition technology, which is very invasive. Uh, of course, your listeners will will know all about that, uh, in which we ordered a particular organization to immediately stop the use of that um, technology, frankly, not, uh, not necessary in order to carry out the purposes of what was, was needed. Um, so those, those are some of the as retailers, not unlike a lot of retailers, looking at this new and latest shiny technology, thinking that this might bring greater security or whatever to their operations, um, that's finding its way into some in this sector as well. And uh, uh, where caution, I think, it needs to be the watchword on the part of organizations to to collect only what they need to, and uh, and not go beyond that. Right. Um, well, you've got different um, segments of the market. Um, so um, how have you educated consumers about their rights? Because you have people of different ages and different sort of social groups. So have you um, been uh, using, deploying new perhaps social media to reach certain groups uh, as well as more traditional uh, media? Yeah, we have actually used uh, social media. We've put together um, a, a video uh, easy to understand videos that people could uh, use in this uh, space. Uh, we get phone calls, uh, we get a lot of phone calls uh, that are, uh, and our staff are excellent on this stuff and, and uh, uh, converse with people um, 
firsthand. The guidance that we're talking about today is actually aimed, it's not just aimed at retailers, it's aimed at consumers as well. So, you know, we get a lot of downloads about it and, and questions. So again, that's a major part of what we do in our office is the education aspect. And uh, we're going to continue to do that to, to get the word out. It's really interesting uh, in the world of cannabis uh, for, it seemed to catch the media's attention, uh, perhaps in a way that other sectors uh, may not. Um, the two topics of privacy and cannabis use seem to have a bit of a, uh, a sexy allure to it. But that's great because that gives us a chance to talk about uh, the basic rules around some of these things, which, again, uh, they're not that dissimilar for other uh, retailers and other parts of the way the retail community works. And so it, it gives us a chance to, uh, again, get the word out about to the fact that you can't just collect, use and disclose uh, whatever you want uh about uh, your your customers and uh, uh through that we're able to educate both customers and businesses alike right so it must have increased um uh, greatly uh, awareness of your your role and, and your office um and so um, are you planning to issue a media release or have you already received so much attention you hardly need to do so on this subject <laughs> Well, I think on this topic, I think the one thing that we do effectively when we do these kinds of audits that uh, Tanya Allen and her team um, at our office have done is the follow-up. Uh, you know, organizations will commit themselves to uh, to ensuring that they're in compliance, and uh, you know, we want to trust but verify. Is uh, I think is the, the good uh, watchword of any good regulator. So we'll go back in and have a look uh, to see that in fact that's been uh, been done. And um, if there's a need for further action, we'll, uh, we'll obviously take it. I, I expect that most of these organizations will have complied, if not all of them. So it's, uh, it's uh, uh, something that uh, we will uh, continue to uh, be vigilant about. Mm. So um, you presumably monitor media coverage. So um, are you satis satisfied by the response of the media to this initiative? Yeah, there was a lot of media coverage. I did a lot of interviews about it. It was uh, that was very good coverage and very positive coverage. And again, uh, done with a view to educating people. Sure, and that I think is that I think is just key. I can't. I've said it several times on this podcast. I can't emphasize it enough. Uh, we do use our order making authority where we need to, but when people get what their responsibilities are, um, they understand and move forward to to comply with that. Okay, right. Now you mentioned at some point that your this particular guidance of, um, applies to private sector retailers, but not provincially provincial government owned stores. Um, but the, the issues are the same. So, uh, do you plan to issue similar guidance for the publicly owned stores? We don't have any immediate plans to do that. But the base, you're quite right. The basic concepts that are applicable here uh, are largely applicable to the public sector as well. There are some differences between the laws as they apply to the public and private sectors, but generally speaking, uh, similar principles. So when it comes to uh, you know taking reasonable security measures to protect people's information, uh, the tests involved, the requirements involved are, are roughly similar. Uh, the public sector stores are well aware of that. Uh, that's part of our ongoing, ongoing conversations uh, uh, with them about those kinds of matters. So, um, at this point, uh, we've got a lot on our plate, obviously, as you know, Stuart. Yeah. And uh, so uh, uh, I don't think it's actually necessary here because I think that uh, our private 
our private guidance is equally applicable to the public sector, and they're aware of that. Sure. Okay. Now, looking at the international um, sphere, um, I know you, you're very active in the Asian uh, continent, um, but the uh, sale of recreational cannabis is a trend more in, in Europe, uh, and of course, some states in the United States. I think um, it's more a um, question of criminality in some Asian countries and with heavy penalties. But for those uh, countries where, which are opening up to the sale of recreational cannabis, such as Netherlands, Portugal, Luxembourg and Malta, have you received some inquiries from the privacy commissioners, the regulators in, in those European countries, or indeed from attorneys general in the, in the US states, um, about how you're in, engaging with retailers? Um, uh, and if so, where are these questions coming from? Because I would have thought you, you do have you know, got a world leading initiative here. So if I were a privacy regulation in any of those countries, I'd be, I'd be calling you up. Well, you've, you've guessed right. Uh, we have had inquiries from our, uh, some of our colleagues in Europe uh, to protect the innocent. I'm not going to out them on this podcast, uh, but they've been really good conversations. And uh, again, uh, one of the... Um, uh, remarkable things. And British Columbia is very active on the international scene, as you know. So uh, it's not a uh, it's not a, an unusual thing for um, somebody, a regulator anywhere on the globe, actually, to pick up the phone or connect with us by by way of the wonders of the internet to communicate about these issues. And of course, we share whatever information we have. And, and it's not just you know what the guidance says. Uh, we're borrowing parts of it. It's questions about. Uh, that you've asked how has it been received what has been the interaction with organizations is there anything that we've learned by what we've done that you know we would give people uh, advice about and so those are the kind of conversations that go on uh, not just between british columbia and others but uh but globally when it comes to regulatory uh, matters so uh that's very positive. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, the glo as you know, the Global Privacy Assembly is a club of uh, na mainly national authorities, but some uh, uh, state or provincial authorities as well. Do you see this group uh, picking up this subject um, to uh, spread the spread the exchange experience on a on a wider basis? Well, there's no specific uh, grouping within the GPA right now that is, but I think that's a terrific idea, given given that the uh, the spread of legalization of cannabis is happening, as you note, on a global level, right. and uh, some of the unique challenges that that uh, raises. And so, uh, I think it is a matter that uh, we might take up with some of our colleagues um, to formally address in the way of uh, perhaps a grouping within the Global Privacy Assembly. We're looking forward to uh, that meeting coming up uh, just in a few weeks' time, and. Uh, and in fact, that that's an interesting idea in a number of ways, because there is, I think, some element of convergence beginning to happen around the globe in the kinds of principles that are being applied in, in privacy law. And so uh, anything that gives us the impetus to kind of trade notes, talk about those common commonalities, uh, how we can learn from one another and encourage our legislators uh, to to bring into force uh, some of these principles into law are helpful. So um, it's a very positive, very positive development on the international front, I think. Yes. Well, well that, that's good news. I mean, any potential dangers of, uh, from consuming cannabis could apply equally or even a more widespread way to, to alcohol. I mean, alcohol is a very well-established 
drug, uh, which is, is not called a drug, but it, but it is in, in many ways. So, yeah. uh, so mm -hmm. the, I think it's good to bring um, cannabis into that that discussion. Um, yeah. As we get towards the end, um, do you, do you have any specific hopes for the guidance in the future? Do you see yourself, you know, looking at revising it again in another couple of years as you as you learn more? Well, we thought about selling off the movie rights to our guidance, <laughs> but <laughs> haven't got quite there yet. No, it, it's I, I say that uh, obviously with tongue in cheek, but it is a it is absolutely uh, it, it's captured people's imagination. I sure. think because of the novelty of of the legalization issue, and you mix privacy, which has become a huge issue globally, uh, particularly in the last few years. So those two things together, I think, really create. Uh, I'm sorry to. Uh, uh, use this pun but it's created a high level of interest in uh, in this topic so i think that's very positive and whenever we as regulators uh, have a chance to uh, uh, have a platform to talk about some of the basics of uh, a privacy regulation uh, we jump at that opportunity and so that certainly has been the case on the cannabis front and i think will continue to be Right. Yes. And the same way as Clearview, uh, work on Clearview has um, given emphasis and attention to facial recognition. So I think you're right that you take a particular subject and it can really uh, increase uh, interest and uh, attention to to the various issues. Um, so finally, is there anything you'd like to add? Anything I haven't asked you about you'd like to put into this? Well, I, I think what we just talked about really at the conclusion of this uh of this podcast, which is the, I think, a convergence of some of the principles around privacy happening around the globe, uh, which has generated interest, as we noted from our European counterparts about what we're doing in British Columbia. It's not just unique to the cannabis issue. Um, and it's, it's about the way regulators share. And I have to say, and a, and a tip of the hat to uh, privacy laws and business, because I think uh, through your forum, Stuart, it's allowed a lot of these connections to keep on top of what's happening globally. And it's provided, I think, uh, uh, sort of uh, a, a good deal of information, which allows us to go forward, continuing that cooperation and coordination globally as we, we try to serve all of our citizens well in the realm of, of privacy. Sure. Well, thank you very much. That's a very, very well expressed. And I do appreciate that. Um, well, certainly, we at uh, Privacy Laws and Business greatly appreciate that your office, like many other data protection authorities around the world, have been a subscriber for many years to our UK and international reports. If any listener to this podcast would like to, us to email them a free version of the article which we published in the August edition of Privacy Laws and Business International Report, simply email us info at privacylaws.com with the subject line BC Guidance. And this article will provide you with um, links to relevant documents and uh, covers, covers the ground quite thoroughly and with the help and cooperation of your office. Uh, and when we would also appreciate, appreciate listeners' ideas, questions and comments on how you, the listener, would like us to further research this subject in other countries. Um, so if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find our 15 other podcasts at Privacy Paths on the PLB website at privacylaws.com forward slash podcasts or your usual place for downloading podcasts such as Apple, Spotify and Stitcher. So we invite you to keep up to date by subscribing to Privacy Laws and Business International and United Kingdom Reports. Visit privacylaws.com forward slash reports. So, Commissioner Michael McAvoy, thank you for giving us your time and sharing with us your original and world-leading policy work on how you apply privacy laws to recreational cannabis.
You are very welcome, Stuart. 